May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today, braving the cold. It's going to be in the 80s the rest of the week, I think. I want to talk to you this morning about this gospel reading. Big idea is entrance into the kingdom of God is not by human standards. Entrance into the kingdom of God is not by human standards. Um, this is really a difficult text, and it calls to mind my three C's of preaching. Preaching should challenge, convict, and every now and then comfort. Uh, this is definitely a challenging verse. It challenges us to think about where we are with God. It convicts us uh, of the areas of our life that don't comport with where God wants us to be. But it also gives us comfort because it gives us a way home, which I think is helpful. Some have said this is the Mount Everest of evangelical texts. I don't know if it's Mount Everest, but it, for sure we're in the Himalayas. Life is about choices. Moses says to his people, choose life. And Joshua's says to his people, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've made a choice. And Elijah says, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? Make a choice. Today, Jesus says, enter by the narrow door before it's too late. Choices have consequences, and some choices have eternal consequences, and that's the sort of choices that we're talking about today. Now, Jesus starts for Jerusalem back in chapter 9, and he arrives in Jerusalem in chapter 19. And all, all, all along the way, he's teaching, 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 teaching. He has about three months left to live on this earth, and he wants to make the most of it. And this is really his message. People call along the way say, well, are, are, who will be saved, many or few? And in their mind, saved meant to be in the kingdom of God. Who will be in the kingdom of God? And there were two schools of thought, right? One rabbinic school of thought and another rabbinic school of thought. One rabbinic school of thought said all the Jews will be in the kingdom of God. And another rabbinic school of thought said, well, only some of the Jews will be in God. Now, neither of these schools of thought had any Gentiles in the kingdom of God. They didn't count. They're just talking about Jews. So when Jesus later says, well, by the way, they're going to come from east, south, north, and west to sit with Abraham, he's then talking about Gentiles, which totally blows their mind because that's not possible. And he, he winds up, ask, he says to them, you know what? You're asking the wrong question. It's not about how many. It's about you. It's about you as an individual. It's personal. It doesn't get more personal than this. And Jesus says, strive to enter by the narrow way. The word strive, agonizomai, we get our word agonize from this word. And it had to do, the context of it was in a, like a sporting contest, whether it was wrestling or boxing or something like that, where you're really exerting yourself. He says, strive, work hard to enter through this narrow door. And it's not, he's not talking about good works. He's talking about obstacles that get in our way as we make our way toward that door. And they're very familiar things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
the world gets in our way because it has a certain set of values and principles and beliefs and morals and goals and all those things that are attached with a worldly view of life. Some of them are good, but many of them pull us away from God. Many of them are very self-centered. Bigger, better, more, upward, all those kinds of things that really move us off the track as we make our way toward that door. The flesh is me. I get in my own way. The way I think, the way I see things, the way I react, the way I don't react, what I say, what I think, what I feel. Sometimes I can be my own worst enemy when it comes to this. And the devil, we talked about him last week as Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. He, he's always on the lookout for me. He's always trying to undermine my relationship with God. And he comes at me when I'm weak. He comes at me when I'm down. He comes at me when I'm doubtful and discouraged. He never comes at me when things are going really well. And I have to be on the lookout for that, and I need to recognize it when it happens and fight him off, striving to keep my eyes focused on the goal. Then there's will versus wish. I wish I, I, wish I could go to college. wish I could go to medical school. <laughs> Dave's going, no, you don't. Well, wishing is one thing and willing it and, and being intentional about getting there is something else. What am I doing about it? What steps am I taking to make that happen? Wish I had that job. Have you trained for that job? Have you applied for that job? Have you talked to anybody about getting that job? Or are you just sitting there wishing you had it? Wish I was on that team. Have you prepared yourself to get the skills necessary and needed to be effective at that sport? Wish I could win the lottery. You need to buy a ticket. I wish I was in shape. Just saying. Just saying. What does it take to get in shape? Wishing you were in shape is, <laughs> is different than getting in shape. You've got to be intentional about these things or it will never happen. And again, what we're talking about today takes intentional behavior. So the door is open now, but there's going to come a time when it's closed. Christians are accused of being narrow, being a narrow people. Now, if, if Jeff was here today, he's not here. I was going to have Steve get up. And uh, Steve here? Oh, he's out in the lobby. Huh? Oh, there he is. So... So Steve is a retired American Airlines pilot. Now Jeff is a retired Southwest pilot. But what if what if you're you're coming in for a landing and I'm the tower, right? And I'm just making this up. American 53, uh, your runway is uh, 14 right. No, that's no. 
1414 right. What are you talking about? And that's, you don't get to make this choice. It's that 14 right or nothing. Go to Chicago. <laughs> Did you ever have that conversation with the tower? <laughs> you, you don't get to choose your runway. You just do what you're told. So you're playing soccer and you miss the goal by about one foot. It ought to count. I was really close. Do you see how hard and long it took me to get down here and get by all these guys and make the shot? Or how about fourth and one and you miss the touchdown by an inch? It ought to count. Look how hard I worked. And it's gonna <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You can, you can get close, but that's narrow. The door is Christ. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that those who, God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him, have faith in him, shall not perish, but will have eternal life. It's him. He's the way, the only way. You go in one at a time. That door only holds, accommodates one at a time. You don't, you don't get to car be carried in by your friends. You don't get to be carried in by your parents or your grandparents or your relatives. You don't get to be carried in by your church. It's you, one at a time. And the idea is that we repent. We recognize our condition as a sinner. Repent. Metanoia, we turn around, we start to go back toward God, we change our minds, we change the way we think, we give him our life, we trust and obey him. And that's versus easy believism. Kind of like you hear something, you say a prayer, you sign the card, whatever it is, but then you kind of go on about your way as if that never happened. But you checked your box and you signed the card and you said the prayer. I'm in. You heard me say the story about giving away groceries at Southeast Livestock Pavilion years ago. And several churches would get together. We were one of them. We'd have all kinds of groceries on these tables lined up, and people were coming in a hundred at a time, and they would, they would, and Eddie's over here from Chicago, and he's the preacher. He's the whole point for there. He's giving a very evangelical sermon, and nobody's paying attention. They're looking at the groceries. I used to say after this, we need to get chairs over there and sit in front of Eddie so nobody can even see the groceries. But no, we're looking at the groceries. And then at some point, Eddie would say, if, if, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. And people go, raise my hand? What is that? Get me a further place in the line? What is that? How does that work? And then they would have people going around counting raised hands as salvation. I mean, it was really bad. But that's how it worked. That's how they counted. Boy, this was a big success. Yeah, look at all the people that came to faith in Jesus Christ. Not so much. Mm. Billy Graham, his crusades were amazing. But about a year later, 10% of the people that came forward to the crusade were still active in the faith. They were moved emotionally by that night, and they came forward. But a year later, only 10% were still active in the faith. And it's never too late. I get a call Thursday from someone whose children had gone to grace school 
and the wife's brother was in the hospital, and he's dying. Could I go see him? Of course. They don't go here, but I don't care. And then he's, he's, he's active, he's talkative, but he doesn't have much time left. I said, okay. So I, I got the name and the room number, and I go to the hospital, I go to the room, and there's this guy laying there, and, and he's not active, and he's not talkative. He's just kind of kind of a big guy. And I'm trying to get his attention. I'm calling his name. He's not opening his eyes. And I, I gave him last words. And then I walked out of the room, and I looked at my, my text, and I, I was in the wrong room. Doc, I think it was my left leg that was the problem, not my. So I went to the right room, and it wasn't where I thought it was. It was down. I said to the nurse, I said, it's only one number higher. Where is, oh, that's down to the left and down to the right and down to the right. Okay, so I get there, and he is very talkative, and his sister is with him. And my in situations like that, people I don't know, <coughs> I say, let me ask you a question. Are your spiritual bags packed? He was raised Catholic, not, not active, but he was baptized and he had, took, he had confirmation. He was confirmed. So he figured, I'm good to go. So we had another conversation. And I kind of did a funeral sermon <laughs> for him. Not that it was his funeral, but explaining the gospel. And at the end of that, we all held hands and he prayed to receive Christ. And I'm praying and hoping that was a genuine, real commitment to faith in Christ. We don't know that, but he, it, I had the sense that it was real. Not, I don't know about the other guy, but it happens. <laughs> God wants us to have a beatitude attitude. Poor in spirit, be like the publican. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, not like the Pharisee. I'm really glad I'm not like these other people. Boy, he wants us to be unselfish and selfless and give up control. Selfless and unselfish, but we live in a very narcissistic world. It's all about me. I'm the most important thing. You, know? you see this with parents. You used to have helicopter parents who hovered. Now you have lawnmower parents. My child can never be wrong, and my child should never be uncomfortable. So they have the lawnmower, and they're going ahead of their children to eliminate any obstacle that might be in the path of their child because they never have that kind of challenge. But what does that do to the child as they grow up? They don't know how to handle the challenge. They don't know how to handle adverse circumstances because somebody's always been there to Clear the path and take it away. Make the, make the way smooth. But life isn't always smooth. And one of the things that, the thing that gets me through is my relationship with God. When things don't make sense, when I'm trying to just make sense of things and it just it isn't working out, God gets me through. I can't call my parents anymore. And most of you can't either. But I'm hoping 
as parents prepare their children for that time. Proximity Christianity. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Now, right below that is this verse. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And I, I only read that because at the cornerstone of this building and the cornerstone of that building is a Bible that is open to that verse. It really has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to share that with you. Relationship versus acquaintance. Do I have a relationship with God? Or am I just acquainted with him? Do I know God? Do I just know about God? Jesus said, I do not know who you are, where you're from. He disavows them. They're doomed. Ah, some quick thinking is needed. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Yes, yes, you know us. We were around you a whole lot. We heard the gospel preached. We felt the distinct warmth of your presence in worship services and at the Lord's table. We listen to the Bible taught and discussed. We have Christian parents and Christian siblings and Christian children. We went on youth retreats, went to RYM and attended conferences. We even read some Christian books along the way. We gave a shot from time to time at reading our Bibles, but you know how it is. We were pretty busy with school and work and family and all the activities that we had to be part of. Oh, yes, we mustn't forget to add that we saw some Christian movies. We attended Christian schools. We had devotionals with our families. We listened to Christian radio stations and even liked some Christian music. We even read Pilgrim's, uh, Pilgrim's Progress and the Chronicles of Narnia. We had every intention to follow you, but you know how it is. We've been really busy, maybe even a little distracted for a few years. We really didn't mean to let things go so long and so far. And that's because you think you have all the time in the world instead of developing that deep relationship with God. People are going to be very surprised, as I said before, who was in and who was out. East, West, North, South, Gentiles. Couldn't compute that, couldn't relate to that. We also don't know how much time we have. We had a funeral here about a month ago for Andy Rose, and Andy was a member, had an accident in his woodworking shop, got in his car and drove himself into a live oak and died. Totally unexpected, did not expect to die that day, but that's the day he died. And the door shuts at your death, and there is no PME. PME is post-mortem evangelism. 
Now, a lot of people think they'll get another chance on the other side. I don't read that anywhere. That may be true, but I don't read it anywhere. It's appointed for a man to die and then the judgment. Boom. No PME. Got to be right on this side of life. I've watched these buildings blowing up in Ukraine. The plane crashes. They didn't expect to die that day. Were they ready? There's no time to make a choice at that point. It's too late. Then there's a sad story about choices. Lord Kenneth Clark, internationally known for his television series Civilization, lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ. He admitted in his autobiography that while visiting a beautiful church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. My whole being, Clark wrote, was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had known before. But the gloom of grace, as he described it, created a problem. If he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he would have to change. His family might think he had lost his mind, and maybe that intense joy would prove to be an illusion. So he concluded, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course, and he died without Christ. So sad. How many people are like that? I'll get to it someday. I have plenty of time. Let me think it over. But what about me? Am I a casual Christian? Do I come now and then if I have nothing better to do? Do I live my life one day on Sunday and another the rest of the week? I remember the, the book, um, Christmas Carol, with Scrooge at the end of the story. He throws himself on his gravestone, and he says, I'm not the man I was not the man I was. I'm not the man I was. And he wasn't. The Christmas Carol is a very evangelical book. And that story is a story of conversion. And it was real. Just like the thief on the cross at the very end of his life, he had lived a life that was worthy of crucifixion, but he gave his life to Christ in his dying breath. And Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Nobody can answer these questions except ourselves. Am I a follower of Jesus in a way that gets me through the door? Am I picking up my cross and following him every day? Jesus says, you know, if you want to be my disciple, die to self, pick up your cross, and follow me every day. I think of my mother, Jean, and my dad when he was in tough shape, very, very sick, had Parkinson's and dementia. And every day, she'd look at that cross and she'd pick it up. And she never left them. She never abandoned them. She just was there all the time. I think of parents with special needs children. I think of the parents of the young women at the circle that are here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that pick up that cross every single day. Well, the question really isn't how many, but what about me? Have I made this commitment? Many have. Many are not too sure. But today could be the day. I'm not a Baptist, but I am a biblical Christian. So are they. So Jesus is waving you through. 
question is, are you coming? Today is the day, and the time is now. This is something for each of us to deal with on our own with God. If, I mean to think about it. Charles Finney, back in the 19th century, instituted something called the altar call, and people would come forward. My sense is, as we hear this message, as we think about these things in, in our own relationship with God, where do I stand with him right now today? Where am I today with him? Am, am, am I where I need to be? And if not, how do I get where I need to be? And if you need, if you need some help, give me a call or give Tom or Karen or Peg a call. Ponder these questions and then act on them. Man knows not his time. Amen. Now, um, a video, Steve Green.
Man knows not his time. Make sure you know where you stand with God. Amen.